Well, if you'll grab your Bibles, and we always have some in the back if you need one, we are going to be in Romans, Romans 8 this morning. And this morning as I got up, I uh, told Brandon, I said, do you remember what we got at Legoland? And he goes, yes, Mama's gift. He loves Legoland, and he saw Rose at Legoland, and he thought, well, you know, he thought ahead, let's give this to Mom for Mother's Day. So we bought that way back when. So I said, well, do you want to get it, like, prepared and go give it to her? She goes, he goes, no, we'll give it to her at our party. I went, party? He goes, yeah, we're throwing her a Mother's Day party. <laughs> okay, I guess we are. <laughs> I would say you're all invited, but it's not decorated, and there's no food at this party, so, oh, man. And uh, speaking of gifts, we do have a Mother's Day gift for, for all the ladies. If you would like one at the end of service, just grab one as you go out, uh, um, and uh, thank you for the people that helped put that together. So that'll be at the end of service. So we're in Romans eight eighteen this morning. It says, I consider that our present suffering, our sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subject to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from the bondage to decay and brought into freedom and glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. And I could not have planned the scripture better for Mother's Day. You know what I'm saying? 37 weeks in the Romans and uh, yeah, we hit childbirth today. I don't know. So uh, right up to the present time. Uh, not only so, verse 23, but we ourselves who were first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we eagerly await for our adoption of sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this, ho for in this hope, we were saved. But hope is, is that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not have yet, we wait for it patiently. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, but the Spirit intercedes for God's per, uh, people in accordance to the will of God. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Now, you, uh, you, if you've been around for a while, you know that there's no way we're going to cover all of that. There's just too many great things in there. But this is a beautiful piece of Scripture. There's mystery involved in it, some great application for us, and, and then we get to the verse at the very end of that, and that's really an anchor for us. That's a verse that, that is, if we've grown up in church or been around church enough, we've heard that multiple times. Uh, we know that in all things, God works, uh, works for the good of those who love Him, who have been called according to His purpose. And we're going to hit that uh, probably in a couple of weeks, but that's really an anchor for us as Christians. For the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about suffering, and this week we're not going to continue on that subject of suffering, but we're going to move into the whole idea of hope. Verse 19, it says, for the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be saved. 
So who are, uh, some translations say sons of God, some translations say children of God. Is it all people? Is it just, you know, some translations say the sons of God. Is it just the boys and the, and the girls are just in eager expectation of hoping to get a husband so they can go to heaven also? I mean, some, unfortunately, some religions teach that. And I'm going to tell you that's not the children of God, the sons of God. That's not what we're looking at. So who are the sons of God or the children of God? Well, the scriptures have been very clear on this subject. Let me throw out, a, you know, one scripture, John 1.12. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, descent are not of, uh, nor of human decision or, husband's, or a husband's will, but born of God. So the children of God is anyone who has accepted Christ as their Savior. He is the one and only God, the one and only Son who died for your sin. So not everyone on this planet is the child of God in that sense. Those who are born again, we consider the children of God. Verse 19, for the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. So Paul is going to kind of go somewhat mystical here on us. And, and Paul's kind of our cut and dry, just kind of... Let me tell you how it is, and I don't care if I offend you or not type of guy. And he's kind of going to go into John's area of kind of this mystical kind of uh, talk. You know, he doesn't usually talk about this. He's going to talk as if creation has this personality. And, uh, you know, that everything in creation, this podium, this, this microphone that I'm using, the shirt I'm wearing, and, and so am I. You know, but, but what Paul is doing here is he's going to separate humans from all other created things for this teaching. He says in verse 19, For the creation waits in eager expectation, in other words, a desire, a hope for the children of God to be revealed. This is really tied to the end times. It is, you know, it, it will be revealed to the whole world who the sons of God are during the end times, right? Those that are raptured, it's going to be revealed. It's going to be obvious to, to everyone. Um, you know, are we die or are the second coming comes already or, you know, all those things, it will be revealed in the end. Maybe we're still alive when it happens. I don't know. But the whole world at that point will know who the sons of God are. In fact, later on in, in Revelations 21, and I'm going to turn to it real quick, but Revelations 21, it says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there were no longer any sea. And I'm going to be very upset about that. No Hawaii. I, but God will replace that. I, I'm okay with that. But I saw a new holy city, a new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from, uh, from God, prepared as a, be a bride beautifully dressed for her, her husband. And I heard a loud voice saying on the throne, Look, God dw God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. That'll be a nice day, won't it? Yeah. 
There will be no more death, nor mourning, or crying out in pain, or, you know, for the old order of things have passed away. He who has who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. And then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true, he says to John. He said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give water without cost from the spring of water of life. Those who are victorious will inherit uh, all this, and I will be their God, and they will be my children." Now, even though we don't know how it's going to end, you know, end times, we, do, you know, we sort of know there's people who come in and tell you, oh, this is exactly how it happens. And it's like, we, we sort of kind of get an idea, but God doesn't reveal it all to us. But really, we're, we're just kind of guessing. But one fact is true. We do not have to worry about it because we are the children of God. We will inherit it all in the end. From God himself, he will hand it over to us, which is an amazing thing. So this is why Paul can say in Romans 8, you know, 8.18, and we've studied this the last couple of weeks, I consider that our present suffering, the sufferings are not worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed in us. That's why he can say that, because he knows the end. So as we've been studying, we're not immune to suffering, but we don't have to worry about it so much. When the dust settles you are going to be fine. Look at someone around you and say, you're going to be fine. Seriously. You're going to be fine. Josh, you're not around anybody. You're going to be fine, okay? I mean, we, we go through these difficult times, and it doesn't feel like we're going to be fine, does it? We go through these difficult times, and man, I mean, it feels like we're out there alone in left field, and the ball has not been hit our way in ages, and we're just out there all alone. Why am I even playing this game? You know, that's kind of how we feel. But we are going to be fine. Sometimes we need to hear that. Verse 19, for the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. Now, this word eager expectation, I love it. It's, a, it's one of my favorite Greek words, apokaradokia, okay? The, the apo means a way or a part, a, the kara means the head, and the dokia means to, to be on alert or, or to be watching. Like, a, you know, picture an animal that hears a noise. What do they do? They put their head up and out because they're trying to listen. Or think of it, uh, you know, Paul is, what Paul is saying is nature is on alert to Christ's coming. Think about that for a second. The world is on alert, watching and waiting for Christ's return. That's what Paul's saying. Paul also uses this in Philippians, and talking about runner running the race, and at the very end, apokaradokia, to, to go on. It's like the, the runner, you know, pushing himself, because, you know, I have a runner's body, you know, pushing himself out and stretching his neck toward the, the finish line, finishing strong, apokaradokia, okay? And, and I had to change this from being my password, because everybody knows it, you know? But, uh, but uh, I love this word, that finishing strong, striving to the end, that's what we are. That's what we should be doing. Nature is on alert for Christ, this eager expectation. But we see down in verse 20, it says, for the creation was subjected to frustration. Now, you might remember, if you've read anything from Genesis, along with man being cursed, along with woman being cursed with, you know, pains in childbirth, creation was also cursed. Creation became messed up. 
It doesn't measure up to what it should be. It doesn't measure up to what it was before Genesis 3.17. Created things are now in decay. They rot, they deteriorate, they spoil. Nature is fickle. It can be very beautiful, but it can also be dangerous. We know these things. But before we, you know, but before Genesis 3.17, it was not like that at all. Uh, so this will be interesting. When the new heaven and the new earth shows up, we'll get a glimpse of how it was before the fall of man, for Adam and Eve. I mean, it would be a really cool thing. So this is one of the reasons why we need to take the book of Genesis literally. It's not a fairy tale. It's not a kid's story. You know, I, I love, we teach the, you know, the creation, and, and we teach Noah, like it's a great, you know, the, all the animals two by two. God flooded the whole earth and killed everyone, except for that family. It's a kid's story, you know what I'm saying? Oh, man. It's a very scary story, actually. But there is a place of nature that was, that was before the fall of man that was just amazing. Animals were not going after each other. They were not eating each other. There's no huge storms. I mean, I grew up in Houston where, where hurricanes would come right on through. It's a, you know, I mean, if you've seen it on the news, we've experienced that. You know, my wife and I, uh, Mr. B has her dad and stuff. If you've grown up in the area, I mean, the storms are just powerful, violent. Verse 20, it says, for the creation was subjected to frustration. Now, the word subjected is, is like a king who has subjects. So God subjected nature to a curse, like man was cursed. The word frustration, uh, you know, is, is vanity or emptiness or, or pointlessness. You got to love pointlessness, right? What's the point of this? That's how my, my son feels about homework, you know. What's the point of this? We're like, well, you'll get it in about 26 years, you know? I mean, I don't know. Um, sometimes I wonder the point of some of the homework. So anyway, that's a whole other story for teachers to debate with parents, you know, fun things. So, um, but not only does man have an emptiness without God's presence in their life, so does creation, a certain pointlessness. But there's also hope that's built into it. The book of Daniel, the book of Revelation, the words of Christ present this hope of things to come. Verse 20, it says, For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but the will of the one who subjected it in hope. Now, the word hope we've gone over before, and I hope you remember it. It's not a weak word. It's a strong biblical word. It's being sure of the outcome. It's not like, oh, I really hope I get this for my birthday, or I hope I get this, or I hope I can do this. No, it's, it's a hope of, yeah, I'm, I'm going to get that. that uh, I'm sure that that is there. You know, I'm sure it's going to happen. It just hasn't happened yet. It is tied to faith. Faith and hope go hand in hand. They, they go, you know, right next to each other. Two fingers right there, I'm telling you. We need to have more hope in this life, not more wishes. I wish. No, we need to have biblical hope. I know. I know. So Paul is saying, not only is men, a man, we're talking about men, women, and children here, not only is man, but the creation also has this hope, even though Genesis 3 was so harsh. It's not eternal. It's not eternal. 
Verse 20, it says, For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the, the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself would be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into freedom and glory of the children of God. So the curse will be removed from man, in other words, men, women, and children, you know, everybody. It will also be removed from creation as well. Now, this is actually a very uh, mystical thought. Like, creation has a personality. It, it sounds kind of new agey, you know what I'm saying? We kind of, man, as that stuff comes around, we're like, oh, they got, you know, we look at, oh, a crystal, oh, no, we got to run, you know, or something like that, you know? Like, creation has this, this personality. And, you know, have you ever watched the movie Avatar? You, shake your head if you have. Okay, if you haven't, just shake your head anyway, okay? Just act like you're paying attention, okay? Um, you know, but, you know, should we be out there talking to the trees? Well, no, we shouldn't, okay? Avatar was a wonderful movie in the sense of, I mean, the, 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 the way they put that together and the, and the graphics they used and all that, but it had a very new agey point. It was basically saying creation is a lie, you know, all those things that the world wants you to, to believe on that end. Yes, we need to take care of creation. Yes, we should recycle. Yes, we should do all these things because we love God and God created this world, right? That's why we should do it. Okay, not because of this whole Mother Earth movement, and I need to get off this before I get on my high horse, you know, but we shouldn't be talking to the trees. We, you know, we should see that creation has this thing, like it's, it's just not satisfied. All created things have this nagging sense. We are not satisfied with what we have. And the world is the same way, unless we are following the Lord. If we are following the Lord, then the satisfaction comes. It's, it's like a black hole in us, that, that these new possessions that we think that we, if we just buy this, it will create joy in my life. If I just get this, I'll have joy. And then we get that, and then a little while goes along, and what happens? We want something else to fill that hole. It's like that black hole that just takes all that from us. Happiness, in that sense, is fleeting. At first, possession is great. Experience is great. If I could just go here, it would be great. And then we go, oh, it only kind of makes us happy. It's like a bug or a virus that stops us from being completely happy. This is what creation is you know, experiencing. The antidote is knowing the Creator. That's where the experience starts to change. Anything can bring you joy because joy comes from the Lord. There's a difference between joy and happiness. Happiness revolves around things. Joy revolves around the experiences that the Lord brings into our life. That's why we should be joyful on Mother's Day, not just happy on Mother's Day. We should be joyful because of what the Lord has brought into our life. Now, there's a type of person that wants to reject anything that, that has to do with God, period. You know what I mean? If it has anything to do with God, you know, they may have money or they have lots of friends, but they don't have joy in their life because they're missing something. Verse 19, it goes, For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope in hope that the creation itself would be liberated from its bondage to decay 
and brought into the freedom of the glory, freedom and glory of the children of God. So everything deteriorates, everything gets worse, but only here because one day it won't. Everything will be back in order. Alan will be skinny again. You'll be whatever again. You know what I'm saying? Everything will be back into order. The creation itself, it says, will be liberated from its bondage and decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. Man, I wish my son could see me when I was at my prime. You know what I'm saying? Then he would understand a few more things. Yes, I know, I need a little weight. I'm working on that and all that kind of, But man, you know, the same thing. We look at older people and we go, oh man, they're old. I mean, let's be honest, right? You see an old person, you go, they're old, right? I mean, Joyce, when she sees a you know, 105-year-old, she goes, man, they're old, you know? That's okay. We'll all experience that. We'll all get there. I'm not saying something, you know, but this whole idea, you know, we decay. I'm sure Joyce would love to do things that she did when she was 50, right? And I'm sitting there going, well, I'm getting close to 50. I, sorry, I'm picking on you this morning, Joyce. You know, happy Mother's Day, you know. But I'm like, I'm getting close, you know, another four years, I'll be 50. And I'm sitting there going, man, I wish I could do stuff when I, you know, the, that I did when I was 40 or 30 or 20. That's just how it is. We decay. But that's not who we are. These bodies is not who we are. Our spirit is going to be with the Lord. That is who we are. God says he's going to make all things new. That's a beautiful thought. I mean, there are some beautiful places in this world. I mean, I could spend hours telling you about Hawaii. I could give you a tour of the Big Island, okay? I could be your tour guide. I'm not joking. I'm like, this is the 1859 lava flow. Over there, that's the 1912 lava flow. See the two different? I mean, I can tell you all that because I've studied all that because I'm fascinated by it. I mean, you, you would think if I lived there, I wouldn't be able to get any work done. You know what I'm saying? I mean, just there's beautiful places in this world that you see. The whole world will be like that one day. When God creates it all anew, and it'll be much beautiful, much more beautiful than that. Verse 22, it says, we know that the whole creation has been groaning as, the, as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Paul is staying with this whole mystical thought here. Now he has creation having a baby, okay? You know, Mother Nature now has contractions, you know. Um, uh, the whole world is straining, is, is groaning. Now, what is it that nature's trying to produce? Something it can't produce. See, only God can produce that. Only the second coming, the rapture of the church, the end of all things, the judgment that we don't have to fear because we believe, we persevere here and now, but there will be no pain later on. Verse 22, it says, we know that the whole creation has been groaning as in pains of childbirth right up to the present time, not only so, but we ourselves who have, been, who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption of sonship, the redemption of our bodies. So creation groans, and we are groaning. It's a deep sigh, an expression of, of grief in a sense, that life is not all as it could be, right? Now, I would say raise your hands, but I know everybody would raise their hands except for the stubborn people that, don't say, that say, I never want to raise my hand, you know. But there's all, I mean, there's decisions that we've made that we have regretted, right? 
Every one of us, no matter who you are, no matter how great your life is, you have made decisions that you sit there and go, man, I, I wish I wouldn't have made that decision. It changed my life this way or that way. There's a groaning. There's issues with that. Even though there are Christians, there are issues that we have. And it's hard to express sometimes how frustrated we are. And sometimes we take that out on, on those that we love, you know, when it's just the frustration that our marriage maybe isn't as much as it could be. Or our children haven't matured to the way they're supposed to be, you know. They're 38 and they still haven't, okay, no, anyway. You know, that our bodies aren't where they're supposed to be. It causes us to groan. Paul is saying, cry out to God. He can do something about it. Don't complain and don't whine about it. You know, I think of the children of Israel. In Exodus like 2.23, you don't have to turn there, but I, I just wanted to tell you where it was. But, uh, you know, it says, During that long period, the king of Egypt died. The Israelites groaned in their slavery and cried out. And the cry for help because of their slavery went up to God. We spend all the time complaining and crying and moaning to everybody else around us. And we forget to cry and moan and complain to the one who can do something about it. This is what we call prayer. Now, don't forget to praise God. Don't forget to tell God how wonderful He is. But at the same time, cry out to God, moan to God. It is okay. When we have something that we're agonizing about, groan to God, call out to Him. It is the most healthy thing that you can do. There's things in life that just get to us. We get frustrated. And if you're really attuned to it, you can pick up on it. My son is great at this. He knows my moods. He will hear me in the car. He will hear how I breathe, and he'll go, well, what's wrong? Uh, it usually has something to do with the idiot car, I mean the car that was in front of me. Um, you know... It's like something I would like to say out loud, but I don't because I don't want to involve others in the car or the others in my irritation. Yet he picks up on it pretty quick, you know? There are things that we need to involve God with. We need to put God right in the middle of the situation. God hears it and God understands it. In fact, we're going to be talking about that in a couple of weeks about, about the, the, the Spirit just uh, interceding for us because sometimes we just don't know what to say. In John 11, Jesus actually models this for us. One of Jesus' best friends dies right before he's arrested and right before he's cruci uh, crucified, right before Palm Sunday. He knows he won't be back up in Galilee. He knows his friend is going to die and everybody else will go through this death. And it says here in, in uh, John 11, uh, 32, when, when Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Well, gee, thanks. You know, I mean, that's making you feel good, you know. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews had come along with her were also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. And the word troubled there is the word groaned. He groaned. And it says in verse 35, Jesus wept. He cried about it. 
Verse 38, it says, Jesus, once more deeply moved, deeply groaning, came to the tomb. Now, this is a first-hand account. Remember, John was there. What came out of it was the resurrection of Lazarus. A few days later, Jesus is hanging on the cross, and he's, he's groaning and sighing. So John takes us back to say, this is all happening inside of, of Christ. His love for us and why he went to the cross, why he did it was so that we wouldn't have to suffer so much. He wasn't struggling with bringing someone back to life. He suffered so we didn't have to. He, understood, he understands. He understands what we go through. And he weeps about it. Well, back to Romans 8, 23, it says, Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly, and we wait eagerly for the adoption of sonship, the redemption of our bodies. There's a purpose for the groaning. Not just the whining and complaining. In fact, like I said, we should be groaning to God, not, a, not others. We have the first fruits. And the word is exactly what it sounds like. It is the first fruit of the vine or the tree. The harvest is coming, but these, you know, these fruits that are, that are right there, some of these fruits have already ripened. And it's like before all of it ripens, let's get off those first fruits. And they're going to be sweet. They're going to be nice. They're going to taste great. The harvest is coming. We've tasted a bit of, of what heaven is like. Our relationship together, our fellowship. But it's just a taste. And the, there's frustration that it's just a taste. You know what I'm saying? That's all we get until the harvest comes. Why is this? Well, because the Lord wants us to get to a place where we, where we go, this world is not my home. I get a taste of, of God in different situations through different people or, or different um, situations I go through, a different fellowship at a, a certain time in my life. But then we move forward and we go, man, God was in the middle of that. And God gives us a taste. I've tasted it and I look forward to heaven. It's like the Hebrew spies, you know, they stuck in the, snuck into Canaan and, and they brought back these grapes and figs and pomegranates and they said, oh man, you got to wait until you taste this stuff. You got to remember they've been eating manna for 40 years, you know what I'm saying? So it could have been bad fruit, but I mean, it was good fruit, you know? Whoa, you got to, oh, and Caleb and the other guys bring back all this great fruit and little fights are breaking out to get some, you know? I, wow. And this is the thing with us. When we worship, when we truly worship, when we fellowship, we're getting a taste of heaven. And we want it all the time, so we try to recreate it, right? We try to recreate those moments. This is why the Lord gives us a taste and pulls away, because He wants us to get sick of this world in a sense. He wants us to truly say, if you came today, Lord, I would be okay with that. I'd be fine with that. I would be with you if I died today. Now, what's really weird is even though the Bible answer is, well, this is how I really feel. The reality is we don't always feel that way, do we? 
There are certain things that we were sitting there going, oh, I hope that I get to experience this before I go be with the Lord. Oh, I want to do the, you know, the bucket list. You know, some people, you know, the, the movie that came out, and everybody loves their bucket list. You know, I, I just read an article this last week, a 70-year-old, uh, 76-year-old mom that had worked at this job finally got fired. Um, I'm not saying she needed to be fired. I'm just saying she got fired from the job. I don't know why. So her son decided, let's go on his trip. And he's taking her to all these things that she wanted to do that were on her bucket list, you know, that she wants to do before she passes away, you know. But when a believer passes away, we actually feel sorry for them. And in some ways, it shows our maturity and our understanding of the family of God uh, and our understanding of eternity, but in other ways, that's okay because we miss them. But when we get to heaven, it will be something that we cannot even imagine. But we're so focused on, you know, focused on Revelation. We read Revelation, and it just scares us. And, you know, even a young person, don't come yet. I haven't done this. I haven't lived this. I haven't, you know, I hope Jesus doesn't come back. My birthday isn't here yet, you know. I didn't ask Brandon, but I, you know, I, I kind of wonder what answer I'd get. You know, he's six, and he's going to be seven in December, and he's already talking about his birthday party. It's going to be a Hot Wheels party, okay, I tell you. He's already talked about the cat. I mean, he's just, you know, and if you ask him, now please don't go ask him this, okay, because he'll start thinking about it, and I don't want to be, but would you want Jesus to come back, and would you like to go to heaven before your birthday or after your birthday? Well, in a six-year-old mind, he's going, well, after my birthday, the problem is, we're 46 and we're all thinking, after my birthday, you know? Oh, man. God wants us to mature to a point where we don't care what else is out there. We are fine when he decides to either come back or to take us home. Either way, now that I've tasted, I'm groaning for you to return. In Philippians 3.20, is what God is talking, you know, Paul is, uh, you know, Paul is teaching us through, through God what he's trying to talk about here, to say, I'm okay with you coming back at any time. I'm secure. I believe I will be with you. I have this biblical hope in, in uh, Philippians 3.20, but our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there. The Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, will transform our lowly bodies so that we will be like his glorious body. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, you whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown, stand firm in the Lord in this way, dear friends. Wow. In 1 Corinthians 15, Paul explains the, the end times to the local church. He says, I declare to you, my brothers and sisters, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, not, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. In a flash, in a twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. Then it goes on to verse uh, 54 here. Death has, uh, has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O oh, death, is your victory? Where, O oh, death, is your sting? But thanks be to God. He gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. 
always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor, is, uh, labor in the Lord is not in vain. Don't give up on God because what you do now rewards you labor, uh, later. It is not in vain. And then 2 Corinthians, it says, For we know that, in, 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 that if the et- earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. Meanwhile, we groan, longing to be clothed it's, uh, instead with our heavenly dwelling, because we, uh, when we are clothed, we will be not found naked. That, that's a good thing. My, my six-year-old, he, you know, go get some clothes on. He, he, you don't have to tell him twice. He's like, clothes, you know. For while we are in this tent, we groan and are burdened, because we do not wish to be unclothed, but to be clothed instead with our uh, heavenly dwelling, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by, by life. Now the one who has fashioned us for this very purpose to God, who has given us the Spirit as a deposit, a guaranteeing is what to come. That's why the Holy Spirit is in us. We're stamped. It's in us. It's a guarantee. Therefore, we're always confident and know that as long as we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For we live by faith, not by sight. We are confident, I say, and would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So we make it our goal to please Him, whether we are at home in the body or away from it. For we must all appear before the judgment of Christ, so that each one of us may receive what is due uh, due us for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. Now, some people read that and they get scared. You mean I have to go before God? Absolutely. Every one of us go before God and we answer for what we've done. The difference is Christ steps in as our lawyer and says, oh, I, I'm, I'm Alan's counsel. And yes, here's Alan's misdeeds, but they've been paid for. Somebody's already been punished for those. So I got his new file and it has one sheet that says, you were entered into heaven. His name is in the book. That's what Jesus does. He is our counsel. He enters in and he says, their sin has already been paid for. So yes, you will answer for what you've done, whether good or bad. And all of a sudden, it's like your, your whole, your case is thrown out and, and all of a sudden, everything you've done is good. That's through Jesus Christ. Think about that for a second. Through Jesus, we became good in the eyes of God. Praise the Lord. Yeah, yeah. And that's going to lead us to communion, and the guys are going to um, serve communion here for us. But I want you to think about that, that we will be at home with God, not in our earthly bodies. Mm. So think about that for a second as they pass it out, and we'll take it together in a moment.
Go ahead and serve it. as the months and years go by and the more and more we get ready to be with the Lord we start to realize as much as I like about this life it still stinks compared to what I'll experience in death the world would look at us like we're crazy but that's the reality that we live under I'm not supposed to love this life too much so this week when something doesn't go right Let the Spirit remind you what you learned today. As I'm supposed to enjoy this life, I'm not supposed to be desperate about it. Just enjoy the simpleness. Just enjoy the the things. Don't strive too much. Ask the Lord to get you off the materialistic train. To be able to say, Lord, I have everything through you. I have heaven so I don't cling to things here on earth. I trust you now that I've, I've tasted your fruit. So take the elements as we have communion together. Jesus gives us something to touch, to taste. Take the bread, look at it. The holes that are punched in it. That's Christ being, being poked. The nails going through him. The burn marks, Christ being, being punctured, Christ being beaten. It's broken, it's crushed. Take and eat, for this is his body. The day will come when, <clears throat> when darkness will be driven away. And we'll come to Jesus and we'll be there face to face. But for now... We taste a part of it, the body being broken. And he took the cup and he passed it. And each took a sip. Go ahead. It's the sweetness of God, the fruit of the vine, like grapes that would be crushed and the juice would flow out. His body was crushed and his blood came out and it covered our sins. Romans 8, 24, and I'll end with this. For in this hope we are saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, 
We wait for it patiently. Patiently. Well, let's pray. Lord, we just, uh, we come before you as humble servants, as sinners, as people who get wrapped up in this life too much. We pray that you allow your spirit to give us this hope, this hope for eternal life, that this is not all there is to life. Give us a glimpse of heaven. Give us a glimpse of, of your spirit every now and then. Give us a glimpse of who you are and what you want from us so we can eagerly hope for what is to come when we're with you in heaven. Now the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord's face shine down upon you. And may he bless you this week. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.